I'm scared for youth ministry because there is a massive decline. And a lot of adults don't even care that we don't have young people because their view is this church is for me and young people make it messy. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales and you've joined us for The Profile where we sit down with a different Christian every week to hear something of their life story and what God is doing through them and their ministry. And I'm delighted to say that my guest on the show this week is Roy Crown. Roy is the director of Gospel Entrepreneurs, which aims to help develop people into inspired, energized and equipped to take a strong Christian lead in church, ministry and business. Roy is also president of Hope Together, and he was formerly national director of Youth for Christ. Roy. Welcome to the show. Well, they always say when you give a long introduction, it shows you how important the person is. Because if you're president, they just say the president. If you have to say all that, I'm obviously not. <laughs> it reminds me of a great line David Pawson used to use, which was after that introduction, I'm looking forward to hearing myself speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Roy, it is, it is great to have you uh, on the show and, and your name will be familiar to many because of all the organisations you've been involved in over the years. And uh, perhaps, if I may put it to you, you're perhaps best known for your passion for evangelism. I don't know if that's fair, if you'd agree with that, but I did want to ask you, uh, what is it that gets you up out of bed in the morning? What is it that really drives you in all these various things you're involved in? I think it's really important, Sam, that if you were to put the thread across all those ministries... It's been a passion for evangelism and mission. And I think that's my DNA. I think it actually roots in my conversion. When I became a Christian, uh, which was quite a dramatic moment for me, from no church background to encountering Christ in a, on a residential experience at a camp, which is why I believe in those so passionately, within two weeks, I'd read the entire Bible. Now, not in great detail. Uh, Leviticus was a challenge. Song of Solomon was great that that was in there. But it was the gospel and, and a, a purpose that I then thought, hey, I need to share this. this. This has been so transformative in my life. So I just naturally went back to school after the summer, went and saw the head teacher in the secondary school that I was in and asked him if I could take a school assembly. And which is crazy. But I think when God really gets hold of your life, there's kind of you do the craziest things. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to tell people a story as to what happened in me in the summer. And I wasn't going to get around everybody. So I thought, hey, let's do an assembly. Hey, I never realized how scared and scary it can be to stand up in front of your peers and Sam. He said, nobody's come and asked me if they can do an assembly. What has happened to you? So I explained my story. And he said, is that what you're going to tell people in the assembly? I said, that is what I'm going to tell people. And, and he went away, he checked with his staff, came back. He said, you can take two because I don't like doing them. And I thought, no, I don't need two. I don't want two. Um, but I think it's, it's in my DNA that... There's just a passion. I thought everybody had it, to be fair. I kind of thought that was what we all did. It was only when I went to theological college that people put this term evangelist and people came to faith when I preached that you kind of realize, oh, there is a special gifting. Now we're all called to witness, but yes, yeah, so I've always, the thread through all of that has always been evangelism and mission. It's a fascinating answer, as you say, that right from the moment of becoming a Christian, it was just, use that word natural, just natural just to share your faith. And because it is so natural for you, does that sometimes lead to a bit of a frustration when you meet other Christians that don't have any kind of passion or desire to share their faith? You just think, come on, this, this should come naturally. I think what I used to do is I used to bang people over the head and, and I realised that's not a good way to motivate people to do mission and evangelism. And I also discovered that if you put on an evangelism training, people wouldn't come because it's like 
the word is even a problem. But what I've discovered is you can model something. And I also think, I mean, we dreamt up a little thing in Youth for Christ called Three Story. And we just said, just tell your story because your story is credible. It's unique to you. It's valid. And and all of a sudden that released something. And the other thing is just be interested in people. When you're interested in people, if you have a real faith that's part of your life, it will come up in the conversation. There's no doubt about it. And, and so I, I started that way. I wasn't particularly brilliant. Non-Christian family went back and told my parents, hey, you, you know, I wasn't very wise in what I did. I had a good passion, but I wasn't very wise. And, and even doing the assembly, I realized, you know, Romans says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Once, which confirmation of salvation, actually. When I went public about my faith to my peers, everything changed, like everything changed. And I realized, oh, once you go public, the whole world becomes a different space that you're in. And I think that's why people kind of realize, I'm not saying you do a school assembly, but even in school, work, once you actually speak those words out, you're into a different space. And, and that's why I think there's a bit of fear. There's a bit of, let's keep this religion private. Let's keep my faith private. And, and yet, when you do speak out, God always does something amazing. And I lost a lot of friends when I went public in school. I also created a youth ministry off the back of that because there was a load of people interested. So that's the joy of ministry. That is what we're engaged in, Sam. That's the way it works. So you told us a bit about uh, life growing up in terms of finding God at that early age and wanting to, to show your faith. Just tell me what else was going on for you as a teenager in terms of what you wanted to do with your life and career and perhaps where this kind of entrepreneurial spirit came from as well. <laughs> Well, I was born in the East End of London in Hackney, and there used to be Dorston Market just up from where we lived. And I used to love to go up and work on this market stall with a market trader. And it just gave me such a buzz. Now, you kind of think, well, that's the evangelist. But there was just something about selling. And, and, and I said, if we did this at this price, so that kind of entrepreneurial thing, and then it translated into school. So I would buy cheaper sweets, take that, but I had got banned because they had a tuck shop and all that, but kind of selling. And I just realized that there's something about the entrepreneur that has always been in me as well. So if you look at what I brought to Youth for Christ, if I look at what I brought to Hope 08 and that whole initiative, there's something entrepreneurial that I've always had in me. And, and I think that entrepreneurial spirit, seeing what isn't there, is just all... If you look at me in Youth for Christ, when I was National Director of Youth for Christ, we had a number of centres around the country about 60, where they really thrived in a local youth ministry, I discovered, yeah, there was leadership ability, but there was an entrepreneurial spirit, which basically said, I see things that others don't see, and I'm going to create something out of nothing to see what we can do. And it's always been in me. I remember walking around Madame Two Swords. Uh, Alton Towers, which is part of the Two Swords group. And I was walking around with a colleague. Obviously, Youth for Christ, it's the highest youth pan attraction in the UK. And I'm walking around this theme park thinking, we should do something here. We, we should be here as Youth for Christ. And I said to this guy, that's what we need. And he said, what? And I said, I don't know, there must be something. And we just went on this crazy ride called Oblivion. It spat us out at the end. And just there was the chapel in Alton Towers. 
And I said, that's it. I said, we need to do something in the chapel that is experiential for young people. So we put pods, I dreamt it up just there. And we put putting pods on the floor where you could stand on them. You'd have a visual screen that would change on the screen. Then you could go back to a diary room at the back, upload what your experience of Alton Tower was. And, and I just thought, that's what we got to do. So an entrepreneur just sees things like that. Of course, no one's done it. It's a crazy idea. But I think, just like Jonathan and his armor bearer, if you've got one crazy idea, someone comes alongside you and says, yeah, you know, let's have a go. And, and that's why the twos, everything I've done, there's always been someone who has come alongside me and said, yeah, I believe in you and I believe in this. And within 18 months, I'd met the managing director of the Swords Group. We were able to build this experience in the chapel. And in the first year, we had 60,000 young people go through the experience. And it cost £350,000 to build. I sent this crazy idea to one trust. They came back to and said, we've never had an idea like this. We'd love to fund it all to let you do it and let it happen. And, and I remember going up to, obviously I had to go to <laughs> Orton Towers a lot to get it set up, to get it made up. But then you realize when you go there and you think, wow, this was an idea that now has become a reality. And you've gone through all the barriers because the entrepreneur, hey, life brings us all sorts of obstacles. When you're an entrepreneur, you create the obstacles. You know, it's not like, Stuff just comes. I've created this because I've pushed out and done some things. And then when you see it, you just think, oh, this is so worth it. And it worked for three years. It was phenomenal. We had a year team base there. And, and it was just like, and the trust came up and they said, we can't believe it. It's just a great initiative. So I think there's something about that that I just want to see people do. Now, you could say it's faith. You could say but there's the entrepreneur does it in business, do it in ministry, do it in church and, and do it together. You, you never do it alone. There's always someone that has to come alongside you to make it happen. It strikes me. There's a great optimism in an, with an entrepreneurial spirit. And I think, you know, when we do have all these numbers about church decline and arguably it's getting a bit harder to be a Christian today, there can be a kind of mentality of, oh, let's hunker down. Let's not try and uh, rock the boat too much. Let's not push out. Whereas what you're saying is we need more of that creative thinking, that forward thinking. Um, but do you think that's hard to do in a, in a culture and a climate where I think there is still a lot of fear in the church um, and that doesn't uh, that doesn't then release the entrepreneurs, does it? <laughs> well, that's true. But I think if you look at children and God says we need to become as a child to model the kingdom, a child never gets up in the morning and says, oh, it's going to be a bad day. This is awful. You know, once you fuel them, they're ready to go. It's like if I'm banging saucepans or this, it's just going to be fun. It's just, I think there's something about that the entrepreneur sees positive. They're not cynical. They're not kind of in that negative and whining, which, which we, are, we can easily slip into. There's something about, hey, we could do it different. We could look at it differently. I think where you've got a real negative spirit or people feel there's a decline, that's where the entrepreneur sees the opportunity. Some people during COVID, they just hunkered down, said it's all awful. Other people that were entrepreneurial see that as an opportunity. And I think it's the way we view things. If God is the ultimate optimist, because he believed, then we should be optimistic. Whatever comes our way, and I'm, it's challenging, it's tough. You live with the financial issues, you live with other stuff. But there's something in there that said that God is for us, God is with us. I just finished the journal on the Wesleys. And when they came to faith, and, and you'll see the plaque in Westminster Chapel of, 
of John and Charles Wesley. And John says, the bottom line is, and this is his statement, God is with us. And, and if God is with us, then what's not tonight? That's why the nation of Israel, as they walked out their door, the Mishmah was, God is with you. God is, you've got to acknowledge. And then that means you've got to believe in yourself. I know you believe in God, but you've got to believe, you've got to believe in yourself that you do have some bring, things to bring. And then you go and you just say, we can make a real difference for the kingdom. That brings us really nicely onto Gospel Entrepreneurs, which is the latest kind of project, ministry you're involved in. I want to talk a bit more about some of your, your past work with Youth for Christ, but let's start with Gospel Entrepreneurs because that's the latest thing. That's the new thing. Tell me a bit about why you've set this up and what you're hoping it will achieve. Well, there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes said, but I feel that I felt that the church has a little bit of a negative on the entrepreneur, that, that if someone is really successful, we don't know how to cope with that in church, particularly if they're successful in business. We're kind of a bit suspicious and a bit when actually Deuteronomy 8 says that the creation of wealth is a gift of God. So if you can do that, it's God's wealth. You give it away. So. I just thought we need to redeem the entrepreneurial word and we need to put the value around what it means to be entrepreneur. So Gospel Entrepreneurs was born out of this. It, it was as a result of what I saw. If you look at Youth for Christ, I saw the entrepreneur there. If you look at when we did Hope and I saw, you know, we developed a book with Bible Society <clears throat> and LICC, the servant queen and the king she serves. That was purely an entrepreneurial idea. We were gonna celebrate our 90th birthday. We were gonna talk about our faith because if we didn't, who would? And I just thought, we've got to affirm this and release a whole generation. Hey, we don't want a church full of gospel entrepreneurs. That would be a nightmare. But what I wanna do is affirm the entrepreneur in your local church and say, release them, affirm them, and they could do it in social enterprise, they could do it in church planting, or ministry within the church, youth ministry, children's ministry. Let it be more entrepreneurial and in business. And so we produced a series that is just five sessions that just basically finds and recruits and releases the gospel entrepreneur. And we've got Michael Volland, who wrote a book called The Minister as an Entrepreneur. He's the principal of Ridley Hall, Cambridge. We've got Gary Grant. We've got Joanna Connor, who's developed it in prisons. And, and we just thought, let's get this out there so that the entrepreneur is affirmed. And I would say God is probably the ultimate entrepreneur building something out of nothing. So it's yeah. in us. He created us. That's who we are. Great. Well, it's available now at gospelentrepreneurs.org. As you say, there's a video series and a whole load of uh, resources. If that's you or maybe someone in your church who is, as you say, minded towards business and, and wealth creation. But it's interesting. You're applying entrepreneur to, to church and business. And actually, there's a need for entrepreneurs in all of those spaces. And, and I guess a Christian might be called to one or, or both of those two things. Correct. And, and that's why we put gospel in there, because whether you're doing it in business or you're doing it in church, the entrepreneurial gift, but the gospel imperative. So there's one businessman that, that I've read about and I know some people that work as he recruits everybody into his business. He explains his faith story and the values on the business and gives an opportunity for people to pray. Now, his lawyer's sitting thinking, ah, we're going to be in trouble with this. But he said, that's the value. That's what I built the business on. And he's never had a problem with it. And he gives away 50% of his income. Really interesting that he had three brothers that all went into ministry. He was the black sheep because he went into business. And yet he's impacted more ministry through his generosity than those other three that became pastors. So I think 
the secular sacred thing has got to be removed. And we've just got to say, keep the gospel front and center and release the gift. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective. It's time to discover Premier Christianity. Balanced, confident, relevant, faith-filled. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Now only five pounds for three months. You mentioned uh, a few moments ago that there are, of course, challenges. I think you mentioned financial challenges in in running running ministries, as I'm sure there are in running businesses as as well. Um, I do, I was reading about when you joined Youth for Christ, and and there was a huge amount of debt in that ministry, and I think you described it as the toughest year of your life in dealing with that. I'd love to hear that story of what you went through as a as a Christian leader, the pressures of that, and I guess what you learned or what God did in you and and through you in that year. Yeah, that's probably you were reading in the Here's Hope book. Um, what what happened was I'd been in Youth for Christ the Evangelist. Uh, I was passionate to see young people come to faith. And Youth for Christ had basically bought a very substantial centre uh, up in the Midlands. And it was challenging because the income wasn't there. The bank were happy to lend us money. Uh, the then national director stepped down. Another national director stepped in. And I just thought, maybe God's calling me to take this on. But it is such a challenging space because I think what God is calling us to do is some pretty serious pruning to become fruitful. And so I said to the board at my interview, if you give me this role, I believe two things. First of all, Youth for Christ was born out of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was an evangelist, but he was passionate about peer-to-peer evangelism. So I said, our DNA is Billy Graham's DNA. Now, you can always justify ministry. You know, the needs of young people, it's massive. But I said, that's the specific calling I understand that Youth for Christ carries. So if you appoint me, that is what I'm going to put across everything. The second thing I said is this ministry is is 50 years old. It's pretty important that to be something that is sustained over 50 years, you've got to know your core business, but then you can innovate at the edges. So I said, if you give me this role, there are some big challenges ahead of us but I will bring leadership and I want you to cover my back. I want you to know that this, you knew at my interview, this is what I'm going to do. So yes, it was a very challenging year. We had an accumulative deficit. We had a building that really we need to get rid of. And yet the same board felt the call of God to buy it. And, and I said, I think it needs to go because where faith and strategy meet, how long do you keep believing when it, the money's not coming through? There's got to come a point where you say, hey, we got it wrong, and that's okay. So, yeah, it was a challenging year. We had a leadership team, a big leadership team. We did all sorts of things, reduced it right down, uh, got back to our core business, which was reaching young people, peer-to-peer evangelism, and it was a tough year. We we had to let some staff go. We had to let a building go. It, it was one of the hardest years of my life. And but I knew God had called me to do it. There was a there was a strong sense, and I had the board be with me to say, look, we've got to cut right back. Interesting, I was in California and uh, talking to somebody that does tree fruit and he said the biggest problem that we have with our pruning is we don't cut back far enough to get the best fruit and i just thought isn't that interesting when you look at the scripture that pruning is but if you don't cut back far enough you won't be as fruitful as you can be so we cut back very far 
And I kind of thought, well, this is scary. And what are we going to do? But God gave me some amazing people. As soon as I became national director, I was speaking at a breakfast. And this uh, vicar was there. And he said, I understand you've just become national director. I said, yes. He said, how can I help you? I said, I'm an evangelist. But I said, I need someone that understands management and business. He said, you need to talk to my father-in-law. I said, your father-in-law? He said, yeah. He said, my father-in-law will meet with you because I introduce you. He'll give you 20 minutes of his time. If he likes you, you'll stay longer. If he doesn't, at 20 minutes, he'll say, thank you very much. It's been really nice to meet you. Goodbye. I'm like, wow, who is your father-in-law? He said, my father-in-law is Sir Michael Coleman. And he used to run Rackets and Coleman's, Coleman's Mustard. I said, that's your father-in-law? He said, yeah, that's my father-in-law. And he's just become the chair of the church commissioners. I'm like, wow. And you can get, yeah, he said, I can get you an appointment. So I set my watch for 20 minutes. I kind of thought, you know, let's see. I was in there an hour and a half and I shared with him my challenges. And as I said before, God always gives you someone alongside you. And he was my mentor, my coach. He, he just believed in me and he walked me through it in such a way that he just understood people. I mean, he employed thousands. He was in livery company. And, and, and God will always give you someone. You know what you have. You don't always know what you don't know until you took someone else and they say, well, I would do this. And he, he gave some great ground rules. He said, Roy, you don't have to do whatever I say. He said, but I'll always give you my opinion. You can talk to me about anything and everything. But he said in this moment in time, because I met him just a month after I'd become national director, he said, this is what you've got to do. And it's going to be tough. And it's going to, but he said the result. And I tell you, God gave me people. I had more sleepless nights. I had dealing with issues, some stuff, didn't enjoy the process. It was, but God kind of cut right back. And then we started to just grow and flourish. And, and it was amazing. It, it, was, it was a fantastic season. But that first year, and I knew it would be, and, and, you know, we weren't paid well. I actually took the action because I said, the, the money's not there. We've, we've got to kind of change and all of that. But then once you're into it, the entrepreneurial gift. So there's no escape from dealing with the obstacles and the challenges. But if you've got vision for we're doing this to get there, we're not doing this for any other reason, then I think God's favor and blessing is always with you. And I look back on my life, Youth for Christ, hope, well, God has been fantastic and faithful, but the body of Christ has got these people everywhere. If you're, you're humble enough to ask for help, if you're humble enough to say, I really need relationally, to connect with this person because they could really help me through this. And you know what I've discovered is people love to help. They, they, you know, I remember Michael Coleman saying to me, I don't know anything about youth work. I said, I don't want you about youth work. I said, you're not here to talk to me about youth work. You're here to help me with staffing issues, with management issues, with governance issues. Oh, he said, I know all about that. Because he said, I've just been brought into the Church of England. And they've lost 300 million on their investments. And the governor of the Bank of England has appointed me to sort it out. He said, I can do that. He said, that, that's, that's what I do. And I think the body of Christ is this beautiful thing that has some amazing people and they become your friends. And so Michael now, who's 95, still with us, is still my friend, coach, mentor i mean he's 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 failing now but so that 
that year was by far the toughest yeah. year. And there's loads of lessons out there about the importance of mentorship, knowing when to cut back, um, which I guess all came out of that really tough year. If that was the tough year, though, what were the highlights? Uh, <laughs> and not to say that there were no highlights in the tough year, because as you said, you, you learned a huge amount. But what are the memories from your time heading up Youth for Christ that you most fondly look back on? I think what I most fondly look back on is the investment in young people's lives. So the year out program, you you go around the country and people say, oh, I did a year out with Youth for Christ. I remember you, Roy, when you did a mission, people came to faith. There's no greater thrill than seeing people come to faith and seeing youth ministry thrive. And, and, the highlight, Orton Towers was a highlight. That was like, wow, that was that was definitely a highlight. Then we, I recognized that we were seen as parachurch, but not really serving the church. So I made a big decision to say, we've got to be seen to be serving the church. And I merged with an organization called Covenanters. And I just thought they're doing local church. They've got local church groups. But they were really struggling, but we were a larger. So I said, why don't you come and do our church resourcing piece? And we developed a thing called Rock Solid for 11 to 14-year-olds because we also did a piece of research that shaped Spring Harvest one year. And we were partners with Spring Harvest. It was called Tweenagers. And we discovered that the church was losing hundreds of people at the age of 11. And I just thought we could put this out there at Spring Harvest from the platform, but that isn't going to do it. What could we do visually that will just do this? So we brought in a thousand young people to the big top at Spring Harvest and they were partying. There was party poppers. There was energy in the room. And then I said, at one point, we dim all the lights and they all walk out in silence. And then I stand up and say, that's how many young people we're losing in the church every week. All of a sudden, everybody's like, whoa, we're in trouble. That was a highlight. That was like, wow. And and off the back of that, CBM, Christian Youth Ministry came and, and various other things came. And and I just have to say it was it was a real privilege to lead. Now, there's responsibility that comes with that. Of course, there is. But it was the investment in the team. It was investment in young people. And as I travel now, people come up to me and say, hey, do you remember? Do you remember? And that's the joy of ministry. That is God's heart. It's like, what a privilege. Because leadership is a privilege and a responsibility. It strikes me, you know, when you were doing that analogy with the with the lights and losing young people from the church, um, yeah, you know, it, it strikes me that if anything, the problem's got worse since then. Really, I mean, the the stats on young people in the church are pretty dire, um, and I don't need to tell you what those stats are. You'll know them. But you know, we're, we're talking about huge numbers of churches with with no young people at all, and churches that do have young people struggling to hold on to them. And so, I think the million dollar question in youth ministry at the moment is, how do we turn this around? Yeah, I think you you. During your tenure, it was really interesting. I said during my time at Youth for Christ, um, we also worked together on a number of projects. So I didn't want to be seen to be competing. So Andy Hawthorne at The Message, Crusader, we would always meet every time and just pray and think, um, what do we need to do? I think youth ministry a cultural context in which we're doing ministry has changed, completely changed. And I don't want to romanticize the past, say it was amazing then, but I think we've got to find the new model now. And, and I think the new model now, there are certain principles, it's still relational, it'll always be relational. But what shifted is we lived off the mountain of volunteers. Like 
you'd even if you employed someone, you still had a mountain of volunteers that loved kids and worked with kids. Volunteering is a real challenge, and and people would rather pay than volunteer. So we've got some challenges there. But I also think there's been a bit of a I'm reluctant to say this, a lack of belief in the gospel that, that in the end, we're not about social work and help. We're gospel people. And, and if you back off there, then you can't really compete with it. So we've got to be gospel orientated. And we've got to think, where are the moments of reaping, the moments of discipleship, the moments of integration? There are some highlights where that's happening. But I think we've got to be so gospel centric. And we've got to think strategically. But also, I still believe the gospel. I still think it can flourish. I still think we can have an amazing season, but I think we can't just say we've got to do it the way we did it before. There are principles that remain the same, Sam, as, as you're aware of. But I'm scared for youth ministry because there is a massive decline and a lot of adults don't even care that we don't have young people because their view is this church is for me and young people make it messy. They clearly do. Um, I remember when I first went to a church that didn't have any young people, uh, and I just said, I'll create young people. That was messy. And I did a God slot on a Friday because I knew the gospel is what changed my life. I knew it was able. So I just think we've got to rethink. We've got to see it as a priority. And we've got to realize that it's not about this generation. It's the next generation, which is partly where gospel on to. So the gospel, we're looking at 25 to 40 year olds to invest in their lives. And we're also saying, you know, I think church young people, the needs within young people, the family structure, there's so many issues. There's so much going on. But. And this is a big but, and there's some great buts in the Bible, but God, but the gospel. And and it, and the entrepreneur says, yeah, but I remember when we appointed a youth worker into a church that I was, and they asked me to go on the interview panel. And I said, so what's your vision for three years from now where youth ministry would be? And he said, well, if we can just keep the 25 we've got, then I'll be happy. I'm like, we don't want to appoint this guy. There is no way we want to appoint this guy. But some of the parents were really happy because they're like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, no, if you've got 25, within three years, you should at least see some fruitfulness and growth to be 60 or 70. And they said, but you don't see any. No, but you could be 60 or 70 if we invest in it if we facilitate it, if we find energy. So I, I'm not denying the challenges. I'm not as close to it as other youth ministries, but I'm aware that some youth ministries particularly are struggling financially. They're struggling with issues of leadership and, and those kind of things. And that irks me. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. Because for me, it, I just loved it. I was like, this is... This is where the life is, you know, with young people. It's like, why would you not want to be here? Because it's just so much fun and you can get away with stuff and you can do stuff. And and why do they all want to go adult church? You know, like stay here. People used to call me a veteran youth worker. And hey, that's a good title. I don't mind that. That's cool. It's an important title, I think, because I think sometimes there's this kind of uh, view in church of well I can't serve with the youth because I don't know what the number one is in the charts I, I can't serve on youth because I don't I'm not on TikTok whereas actually you think young people aren't expecting you to be in those places they know that you're a bit older but you've you've got loads to input into your own person's life you don't need to know all the cultural references do you no and I'm a granddad now and and my 
10-year-old grandson thinks I'm God. You know, he's just like, he runs, he, granddad, let's do it. He thinks I've got the same energy as him. That's a challenge when you go on holiday with him. <laughs> but, but we need to realize teenagers don't try and be like them, for goodness sake. That would be a nightmare. You know, don't do that. But they want your relationship. They want your input. And they will come to you. I mean, even now, I'm amazed that teenagers, if you love them. I mean, there was a movie. I remember talking to someone who said, how do you make friends? He went off to university and this the movie wasn't brilliant, but there was one line in it. And he said to his dad, how do you make friends? And his dad, in this kind of twee moment, said, son, you want to know the secret of making friends? Be a friend. And that's it. Be a friend to these people and everything changes. And so if you don't know any friends, be friendly. <laughs> If you don't, and that's the bottom line. And and love people, love God, and what's not to like? You mentioned that we need to do things differently. I guess not just in, in youth ministry, but across the church. And I'm sure sure we do. And I guess there's a sense in coming out of COVID as well that it's a it's a different world. How much do you think some of the theological issues is is hampering the church? And by that I mean. There's an argument that 30 years ago, people might have thought the Christians are a bit weird or irrelevant, but that was it. Whereas now there does seem to be a contingent who, who don't just think that Christianity is a bit weird. They actually think it's, it's bad. It's bad for society. We believe some out of date things around could be sexuality and gender, for example. And running alongside that, you have the Church of England in particular, although other denominations do as well, but the Church of England Synod sort of debating sexuality pretty much every time it meets. And there seems to be some, some confusion even amongst churches. What, what does the church actually think on this issue? How much do those theological and cultural issues, you know, how much of that do you think is hampering some of our evangelism either in not being clear what we believe or maybe just believing some things that is that is off-putting to the world and christians grappling with those kinds of issues i think they've always been there the reality is they're more public now and they've always been there they've always but there's been an undergirding kind of the basic evangelical position and those things have been there now they're being challenged i would say in some uh, places and spaces i think It's a great question, Sam, and it's one that I grapple with because it seems as if everybody's having that debate and that conversation. And you don't have to be with someone too long that's a Christian or a Christian leader for that kind of conversation to start happening. I would say two things. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And for me, in Youth for Christ, when we did hope it was really interesting because we went the whole church, like the whole church. How do we mobilize the whole church? Catholic, Vigna, Pentecostal, the whole church. And we recognized that there were some values that everybody would agree to. And we challenged that. We put social action alongside proclamation, word and action didn't want to separate those two. Theologically, if you look at Lausanne and 1964, there was a separation, social action over here, evangelical over here. <clears throat> we said we need to bring those together. Then we also recognized that we wanted to mobilize the whole church. Now, if we'd asked the church to agree a doctrinal statement, we would never have united the church at all. So what we did was we said, if you believe Jesus is the son of God, believe he died and rose again, you're in. Because the bottom line is that's the core of our message and that's the core of what we say. And then what I would say is the local governance of the local church is to grapple with your position on those other issues. And if you believe baptism by sprinkling or baptism by total immersion, we're not going to get involved in that. If you believe uh, uh, 
the priest of all believers. We're not going to get involved in that. There's no need. And I think for the evangelist, and this is where I think Mission Unites, Billy Graham was my hero. I met him a few times. He was fantastic. And he would always never get involved in politics, never get involved in sexual issues. He would always say, this is the gospel. This is what I believe. And this is what I'm going to preach. I kept that same thing on what we did. Now, we did have position papers within Youth for Christ on all of those issues. Of course we did, because we had to, and it was right to. But when we went out and communicated, gospel was front and center. I think once you get gospel front and center, you people may think, oh, even that is going to upset. No, this is good news. This is, but then people are even defining sin or what's it, you know, everything is being shaken. I think in the light of that, you've got to know what you believe and the gospel still go back to the Wesleys, go back to the booths. These were entrepreneurs that changed society and they changed society because they knew what they believed and they presented it. Yes, it was confrontational, but they didn't go in for a fight. But the good news was that as they did that, they reformed business. They reformed the social system. They reformed the educational system. They reformed every every part of society, but it was the gospel start front and center. So I think we're all grappling with this and we're all living in this space. I think as a local church leader and even some things that's happened with church leaders, say, God, we, we live in a messy world. I need to know what I believe. I need to know what I think of Jesus. And in the light of that, that dictates everything else. For a local church leader, it's a different position. And I think that is where you need to come. I've led Youth for Christ. I've led Hope. I'm now leading Gospel Entrepreneurs. I hold to that position. I'm not abdicating, but I'm saying as a local church leader, you've got to grapple with these things as you shepherd your people and your flock and what you believe. But I know what I believe and the values I can put across this. And if that means you don't buy into it, that's fine. But that's who I am. And that's what I believe. And Jesus was exactly the same. He had to deal with conflict and he had to deal with people that had different views and opinions. But you did know where he stood. And I think we're not always sure where we stand. And I think that takes courage and grace to say this is where I stand and this is what I believe. And I didn't. I'm still more than ever before in the more broken and lost the society comes, the gospel, I think we're seeing amazing fruit. People are coming to faith all over the place because they're scared, they're anxious. If you look at the Talking Jesus research, the interest around this is enormous. So we're living with this strange dichotomy, tension it seems that both things are true it is true there is decline on the big picture but it's also true that many people are responding to the gospel it's it's true that there is increased pressure from secularism but it's also true there's still an immense amount of openness so it is an interesting time isn't it to be in ministry or even just to be a christian a christian and just as you say we're all we're all charged to be witnesses whether you have a, a gift of evangelism or not we we're all charged with witnessing to our faith and it's uh it's certainly an interesting time to do that perhaps not a straightforward one um but it's been great to, to chat to you roy and, and hear your hear your wisdom and your experience over the years of seeking to to do this to share your faith with others and kind of what you've learned along the way as we wrap up any top tips for those of us who are grappling, who perhaps don't have your gift of evangelism, but take seriously the duty of every Christian to share something of the hope that we have within us? How can we do that well in 2023? I think we've all got to discover, and this is the journey that I think is really important, what your gift is and who you are and be comfortable in your own skin and the way God's made you. 
And, and I think there's a journey of discovery. And, you know, create, God's created great works for us to do that he's planned for us to do. I found early that, hey, this is who I am. So I was able to give a lot of my life to it um, in that way. I would say, discover what you're, you know, you write, you, you're, you're creative, you can influence massively. I wish I could write, I cannot write. I, I, I use writers, I, I just can't do it. Um, I've tried, uh, people, I've written a few things, but the reality is, so I get people that can. And I think what we have to do is we're all on the same team. Let's use everybody well in their gift and ability on the team. Let's affirm them all. And let's realize we need to love one another and like one another and believe in one another. And when we do that, the body of Christ grows and is seen. And I see it as a massive jigsaw where I've got a small piece of the jigsaw, only a small piece. And I put my piece of the jigsaw in the jigsaw puzzle. You put your piece of the jigsaw in the jigsaw puzzle and a whole stack of other people put their piece into the puzzle. And when the puzzle's built, they don't see us, they see Jesus. And what I want them to see is the only good thing about me is Jesus. The only reason I do what I do is because of Jesus. And Jesus has given me a piece to play my part. I need to put it in there. That may mean I lose something of Roy. That may mean it's not all about Roy. That may mean it's not all about my ministry. Because if that is, that could be a problem. But just put your piece in the puzzle and it goes alongside your piece and your piece. And when people look at the whole thing, they say, ah, there's the body of Christ. There's Jesus serving and loving its community. So I think discover what your piece is and do it to the best of your ability. Work hard, rest hard, and God will do the rest. And I tell you, I've been around a while, I have seen a lot, experienced a lot. There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt. But the bottom line is, God is amazing. And he's for us. And he believes in us. And we just need to do the peace that we've been given to do. And trust you to do your peace. And whoever's listening to do their peace. And we're in it together for the long haul. And let's finish well. Uh, lovely place to leave it Roy Crown thank you so much for being our guest today on The Profile you've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine